This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, since Brexit, the vote in 2016, when the Brexiteers won 52 to 48 through the break which came under Boris Johnson. The Labour Party in Britain and indeed many, most politicians have been afraid of the Brexit idea of Europe, of even talking about it. But this week there was a very significant breakthrough. The leader of the Labour Party, Sir Keir Starmer, went to Paris to meet Emmanuel Macron, the president, French president, and he went because he wanted to strengthen cross-channel relations, and he said their talks, and I quote, were very political. He also said that he wanted to rewrite Boris Johnson's Brexit deal with the EU to improve our trading relationships by removing barriers and improving opportunities for business. And we're joined now from London by Chris Johns, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a respected commentator in his own right, along with another really valued contributor to this program, Jim Power. They have their own podcast. It's called The Other Hand. But it's a pleasure to welcome Chris to the stand now. Chris, for a long time, the Labour Party were afraid to go near the idea of revisiting Brexit or even crossing the Channel. How significant is Sir Keir Starmer coming out this week? Well, I think it's important. I, I actually don't know how significant it is because it'll depend on what he does if and when he gets his hands on the levers of power in, in a year or so's time. Uh, the Going overseas and talking to EU leaders like Macron is there's a long tradition of that happening for all sorts of different countries, but Britain in particular. David Cameron went to Europe before the referendum and had very productive, very political discussions with Angela Merkel, for instance, and other European leaders at the time. And one of the things that should have been learned, but I suspect hasn't in, in Britain at least, is that what happens in, the, in these sorts of bilateral discussions 
is doesn't really point to what then happens when you start negotiating with Brussels. Because you, talk yeah. is cheap in these circumstances. And what you have to look at is the hard-headed realpolitik of what is going to happen next in terms of this deal that Starmer seems to want. The first thing to note is that there is no deal on offer. He, see, he is making the mistake, very simple mistake, yes. I can't believe that he's making it, that a lot of people in the UK are making, is that there, there is um, a review of the Trade and Cooperation Agreement. That's the formal name for the Brexit deal that was done. And that begins in January 2025, so it's not that far away. But it's just a review of the implementation of the agreement. It's not a review of the agreement itself. And to to try and persuade Brussels to reopen the, the, that agreement would be a big deal. If, if Brussels had indicated, yes, we're quite happy to talk about the terms, not the implementation, but the terms of the deal, that would be very, very significant. But Brussels, as a whole, is not that interested. It's not interested at all in reopening negotiations because they are so battered and bruised by what happened last time. And despite Keir Starmer's warm words, they take the view in Brussels that, that nothing much has changed in the UK and that the chances of Keir Starmer or indeed anybody else carrying the British establishment, the British body politic, and indeed the British people with them in a fundamental renegotiation are slim to non-existent. Because the, 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 the words that Starmer used, I'm going to try and get closer to Europe, the slightly odd words that he used about renegotiating a better deal, because as I say, that renegotiation at the moment just simply isn't on offer, That all of that elicited the, the headlines that we uh, would have expected from our experiences post and pre the referendum, all the usual suspects, the Daily Mails, the expressors of this world, banner headlines about betrayal, shackling ourselves to a corpse, Brexit betrayal narratives, all that stuff has been around over the course of the last week. Frankly, I think most people in Britain are now bored to death with this. But, you know, um, Brussels reads British newspapers, and they look at this and they say, well, why on earth would we reopen negotiations when Britain is still as split as ever? Yeah, there's a few opinion polls saying that there's a bit of Brexit regret going on, but nothing fundamental has changed. The Prime Minister of Britain, the current Prime Minister, not any future one, Rishi Sunak, is actually... Uh, by you know a matter of historical record, a committed Brexiteer. He's a fundamental believer still to the present day in Brexit. That that's the person who's leading Britain. Why do we think anything has changed? The leader's views haven't changed. Um, we've got other priorities. I think is what Brussels more than anything in terms of real politics is yes. saying to Britain. We've got lots of things to worry about, not least the war in Ukraine, our own domestic economies, a whole raft of issues. Renegotiating with you guys, doing all that again. Nah, not really. I think that's the strong message that Brussels is tr trying to send rather than any kind of fundamental renegotiation of, of the agreement. What is interesting, Chris, well, first of all, let me talk about our interest in this as a nation, that we have no parliament for one million of our people in the north, and the British government doesn't appear to know how or care about that. That is a very significant matter for us. A better relationship with Europe might help significantly to break that deadlock. Yes, and I think it's undoubtedly the case that relations with Europe have stabilised. They're not particularly great because, as I say, Europe still doesn't have an awful lot of trust 
in in the British uh, when it comes to to talking about substantive matters. But the fact that Rishi Sunak did move on the Windsor Agreement, I think, it was and is a positive. The fact that Keir Starmer is making all of these positive noises, and uh, that there there have been other things like the Horizon Science Agreement uh, type thing that Sunak has done, and enabling Britain to get involved in European funding for for basic science research, things like that suggests that every time Britain now collides with reality rather than ideology, rather than Brexit nuttiness, reality wins, as you would expect it to. So there's a kind of incremental process where each time somebody looks at a particular issue, uh, we do actually decide that we are going to align ourselves with whatever Brussels wants us to do. That brings out the betrayal narratives, but frankly, nobody cares anymore. And one of those narratives is that, and repeated by Starmer this week, is that we must be free to um, set our own laws, set our own rules, and we will not be uh, dictated to by Brussels. Um, The existing Tory government, the government that we've got, again, not necessarily the one we've got in the future, um, hasn't diverged from Brussels at all on anything. And so it's this, whenever we meet reality, we uh, end up towing Brussels' line. So the mood music, for that reason and others, is getting better all the time. So the Windsor Agreement, the Northern Ireland thing, was was very important part of that whole process of, of stabilization, of normalization. But you are right. Um, the fact that there is still no government because the DUP doesn't like the Windsor Agreement, that's an impasse uh, for which nobody seems to have a solution right now. And uh, as you also say, I don't think anybody cares very much here in GB because it doesn't seem to impact anybody very much in GB, particularly in Westminster. It's clearly a problem for people in the North if you believe that devolved government is the right thing to have. And that's something that I think we all applaud, particularly in the case of Northern Ireland. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those unsustainable situations that you know can't continue forever. But trying to figure out how on earth they're going to get themselves out of this um, uh, is, is next to impossible. So what people do is they don't think about it. And so right now, here in GB, people are saying it's somebody else's problem. Um, and presumably, it's the DUP's problem more than anybody else's. Yes. Now, Keir Starmer made clear that there was no intention of rejoining the single market or the customs union. If they rejoined the single market, it might solve a problem in the north. However, the very fact that the fear appears to have left the Labour Party indicates that their confidence and they've every reason to be confident that they will be the next government. The opinion polls are clear and the Tory government is, I mean, even this week, Sunak's reversal of climate change policy and it's quite a dramatic change really, isn't it? I think it's dramatic. I think it's deeply cynical, actually. Yes, because it's a search for, for votes that may or may not yield votes, but it's a desperate sort of search for votes in an area where Britain had established since 1990, in fact, it has been the most progressive country in Europe in terms of measures to combat this thing called climate change. Absolutely. The climate change thing, in my personal humble opinion, was a deeply cynical vote-getting exercise in which Sunak stood up and said several things, most of which were disingenuous at best, simply untrue at worst. He talked about um, correctly saying that Britain has been a world leader in decarbonizing, 
And that's an, yet another example about how all great lies come wrapped around a kernel of truth. That kernel of truth was then taken and said, well, because we are the best um, amongst a, a, a not very good group of people, we then we, we don't have to do very much, yeah. at least over the next 10 years before 2035. And that, moreover, um, implicit in all this is it's, it's, it's so, you know, we, instead of celebrating this world-leading position and building on it and taking the moral and practical high ground that you can gain from that, he said, we're going to give it all up. We're now going to fall back and become at best average and, and at worst fall behind other countries. Um, he didn't say all the other things. He said it was an exercise to try and uh, reshape politics, to try and put politics in the UK on a new footing because all of the short-termism of the past had to go um, because all of the uh, trade-offs that need explaining to the British people need to be made explicit now rather than pretending uh, to have your cake and eat it, to use a Boris Johnson expression. It was very much aimed at Johnson in many different ways without naming him. Um, But at the same time, what he didn't do was as much, was as important and as revealing as what he did do. Because what he could have said is, in that spirit of revealing trade-offs, I'm going to tell you that if you want the NHS to start functioning again, and I have to tell you, in all sincerity, he could have said that the NHS is now completely dysfunctional. The only way we're going to get this going, yes, it needs reorganization. Yes, it needs, yes, it needs better efficiency with the resources that it's got, but it's going to need more money. And that money has to come from you, the British taxpayer, and so on and so forth. There was all sorts of different things that he could have said but didn't. Instead, they still bang on about the uh, objective they have is for tax cuts, which is completely for the birds on the basis of the fiscal arithmetic facing Britain over the short and the medium term. The only way taxes are going in the UK is up, not down, notwithstanding Tory fantasy about wanting to cut. So he didn't explain properly the trade-offs and the environmental thing was designed solely to to appeal to um, what he considers to be a new part of the electorate or a, a part of the electorate that revealed itself at Boris Johnson's old constituency, Uxbridge. Yes. What happened there was that they scraped a victory, a Tory victory at that by-election, supposedly because of a reaction against the mayor of London's new tax, daily tax that it put on high-polluting vehicles. That may or may not be the right interpretation of that election result, but that's the interpretation that they've put on it. That well, on the night concerned, Chris, there were other by-election results yeah. where the Tories were wiped out. Um, in yeah. one case, a majority of 20,000-plus was wiped away. But the lesson they took from that is that uh, being uh, putting yes. on some anti-green credentials is now a vote winner in the UK. I think that's wrong-headed. I think it's a mistaken interpretation of the Uxbridge by-election result. It was a particular uh, thing going on there. I mean, this is a constituency that's been dyed in the wool Tory forever. It's never returned a, a Labour uh, uh, MP. It is it is a very Tory constituency, and I wasn't surprised that the result was very, very close, down to a few hundred votes at, at the end of the day. So I think they've overinterpreted the anti-green mood of the British. I think that they have handed the Liberal Democrats in, in the south of England, at the very least, a huge number of seats, or certainly a huge number of votes at the next general election. And their assumption, you know, that red wall voters, that the typical Brexiteering red wall, often working class voter in the north of England is also anti-green and is very sympathetic to David Cameron's original comment all those years ago about he wished all this green crap would go away. (laughs) I think that's very condescending and very presumptuous about the nature of the average red wall voter. Because I think that things have moved on 
um, over, over the last few years. And just the summer that we've just had, for example, I think a lot of people that may have harbored some doubts about the environment have been convinced yes. by the, 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 you know, the images that we're seeing on our television screens, the data that we're seeing about sea temperatures and air temperatures being off the charts, all of the stuff that we know about that is, that is actually happening around us is changing hearts and minds. Not everybody, but I do think they're playing to the wrong audience when they're saying we can get votes by postponing uh, environmental policies by being anti-green. I think that's a wrong-headed strategy that will backfire on them. Yes, particularly with the younger generations. Well, I've described Sunak's speech as the Tory party appealing to the over-95s. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I think that that's... In, well, yeah, in essence, young people now, and when I say young, I mean 40 yeah. and under, maybe a little older even, people who see this coming at them in their lifetime... And in many cases, in what should be the prime of, of their lifetime, they see this nightmare in front of them. And just in a more general sense, I mean, when you look at the Tory party, see people like Suella Braverman and other people who are in the cabinet who, frankly, are either mad, like Liz Truss, who was out again this week saying she wanted taxes and have another go at being prime minister for six another six weeks. I mean, when this mess of a Tory party, an ugly and nasty mess, as it appears to us from here, does it appear the same to the average Briton, leaving aside for the moment members of the Tory party, of whom there don't appear to be so many anymore? I mean, is this a slam dunk? And this brings us back to Sir Starmer's confidence that he could go to Paris and talk to Macron, that he could go to a meeting of left-leaning leaders in Canada. And in a sense, that the Labour Party is, to use the phrase, coming out and being itself or trying to be itself. I think what Starmer's up to is that he's now, with perhaps 12 months or so, between now and becoming prime minister, he has to start sotto voce very gently play prime minister in waiting. That's the political game that he's playing. He's, he needs to send a message, um, certainly internationally, but most importantly domestically, that he's starting to look like the prime minister in waiting, in all but name. And he gets that confidence from the opinion polls. I mean, the opinion polls are all showing him 20 to 25% ahead in the polls. And uh, it it is certainly the case that on those numbers, if he was to, if there were an election today, he would have command an overall majority. And there are a couple of by-elections imminent, aren't there? Because there's been more... Yeah, Nadine Doris' old seat is coming up. That'll be an interesting one because that is an ultra-safe Tory seat. I think she had a 20,000-plus majority yes. at the last election. And it would be quite something for it to be overturned, actually. I think the, the, the betting at the moment is 50-50. And I, again, it's a bit like Uxbridge. I wouldn't be surprised if they hold on to it by a whisker. Um, but I wouldn't read too much on, into them holding on to it. They will overinterpret holding on to it as saying that this anti-environment thing um, is working. And um, I don't think it will. There's a Groper fellow as well, isn't there? That's right. There's, a, there's also an election down in the Southwest, um, which I suspect they will lose. Um, on the basis of current polling. But, uh, you know, again, we mustn't overinterpret any particular uh, 
by-election results. Sunak would probably prefer not to have them. I don't want to, I don't want to crack unsavoury jokes, but apparently the Grover's name is Pincher. A member of my team has just informed me. You yes, could, I mean, you and Boris that Johnson, up, could you? Well, Boris Johnson is reputed to have said Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. Oh, my God. And he was a Tory high flyer. No, he wasn't. He was a Tory high flyer who um, has allegedly uh, got drunk in, I think, the Carlton Club, which is the Tory yeah. MPs club, and groped uh, some other members of the club. Amazing. I mean, we don't do that, you know, because you lived here for so long and mixed with the best, the finest, the best and the brightest. <laughs> we don't do those kind of things here, thank God. But Good Lord, no. I mean, I, I got off my script there, Chris, because I was talking to you about the, the by-elections, which will be yet another test. Yeah, absolutely. For, and- for both leaders, for the reasons you said, in the case of Sunak, this new climate change reform. Yes, and I think that's going to backfire on him. Um, it could well play well to a certain very narrow audience, um, but I do think that it, it is. Got, I think is going to lose him votes rather than gain him votes. Yeah, most you know, as we, as you said, the the younger generation who is so alive to this environmental threat that we all face, but particularly them. I mean, they, they've more or less lost the younger generation anyway. If you look at the, the age profile of people who typically vote Tory. Most of their voters uh, come in the over 50 bracket. And I think that's now going to move into the over 60, over 70 bracket. They'll lo- lo- what little support they have amongst younger people, they're going to lose because of these environmental policies. They're also going to do badly because of what's happening to the economy. We haven't mentioned that. And I do think that it's always very important to realize what plays, uh, what is most salient, what cuts through to the British electorate is always the economy rather than any of, of the issues that seem to occupy the Daily Mail. Immigration is not such a big deal anymore for the British electorate. It it flared up during the Brexit referendum. And it's only that the Tory press and the Tory party itself that really even gets exercised by this small boats issue. Yes, it's important, but it's nowhere near as important as the economy. And we've had some news today that the all-important services sector of the economy, which I mean, we focus very much on manufacturing because of old-fashioned reasons, but, you know, it's probably only about 10, 15% of the British economy is manufacturing these days. 85% of it is services. And the news that we've had today is that services are now contracting. The UK economy could be back in recession. And that is going to affect Sunak and the popularity of the Tory party. Because if we go, if we have a recession between now and the next general election, there is no chance that his anti-green policies are going to recover anything for him. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, the key test will be the election, obviously, rather than these by-elections. In terms of the disenchantment with the Tories, are the Lib Dems a factor? And are they a factor that could obstruct, in quite a serious way, the Labour Party? It's not so long ago since they obstructed the Tories post the Tony Blair thing. There was a coalition government between David Cameron and whoever was leader of the Labour Party at that time. The name escapes me. But can the Lib Dems hope to get enough seats to make the difference? I think this is a really interesting question, and this raises a number of issues. It does, indeed. It might be a get-out as well for Starmer in terms of socialism. (laughs) First of all, we think that certainly in terms of what Starmer and and sources within the Labour Party say is that at the various by-elections that we've had already, the by-elections that are coming up, and more importantly the general election, there will be no pact, no formal agreement between Labour and the Liberal Democrats but we do think there has already been a nod and a wink yes. that where the Liberal Democrat is second to the sitting Tory, Labour won't mount, uh, mount much of a campaign in that particular constituency. Yes. And there's a lot of them. We think there's about 80 or 90 of those that wow. could, be re- could be really, really significant. And if they got a decent chunk of those 80 or 90 seats, that's the Liberal Democrats once again becoming a serious parliamentary force. They got very badly burnt by that Nick Clegg, David Cameron experiment. Yes. And there were a couple of new, the Liberal Democrats promised there would never be any student fees uh, increase yes. in the UK. And of course, that, that promise was rode back on. And that hurt them very badly with a significant slice of their electorate. But the one thing that David Cameron stitched them up on was on voting reform. This country clearly absolutely needs what you've got, which is proportional representation. It's needed it for a long time. Uh, that you you get into power with uh, one in three of the votes, essentially. Yes. And there are so many constituencies where your vote is essentially wasted um, because of the first-past-the-post system. It's a ludicrous system. It mean, it's, it's tyranny of the minority, if you like, um, in that no, no, you, the people, you, you can be a Liberal Democrat party with millions of votes and 10 seats. Um, it, it, as you know, this first-past-the-post system is why you moved away from it and yes. you adopted proportional representation. David Cameron, I think, promised Nick Clegg this uh, voter reform and, of course, uh, stitched him up, stitched Clegg up and never gave it to him. 
Ed Davey, the current leader of the Liberal Democrats, has said he will not go into any kind of agreement with anybody unless there's electoral reform. And I suspect he means it this time, given that experience of the previous yes. leader. Um, so uh, I, I, don't, I can't see any leader of either the Labour or the Conservative Party because the first-past-the-post system suits them. I can't see them conceding this unless it's a really uh, hung parliament, the, the, vote, the, the result that at the moment we don't expect. But in a hung parliament, negotiations follow, and who knows what could happen. I, yes. um, but that's, I think, going to be the deal breaker for any potential deal between the Liberal Democrats and Keir Starmer, should he need it, will be voter reform. But it is something the country really badly needs. Yeah, just a final question, Chris, about the opinion polls at the moment and how large the gap is between the Labour Party and the Tory Party and how that would translate into seats. Well, the Labour Party currently polling, which in typically... I know polls are... They're, you know, they're all over the place. Yeah. Every day there's a new one. And they're typically mid-40s to high 40%. So the Labour Party, despite everything that's going on in this economy, still can't poll half the country. And right. that's, so that, that's that first-past-the-post proportional representation yes. point being made eloquently via the numbers. The Tories, who still hope to win the next general election, poll somewhere around the low 20s. And it goes up and down a little bit. The Tories, if anything, are sinking and Labour... The trend in recent weeks has been for Labour to increase rather than decrease its lead. And Sunak's own popularity ratings have plummeted. Um, he came in on a bit of a wave of optimism and popularity as being not Boris Johnson, being competent, being managerial... And I think the penny has dropped with a lot of people in that. Um, I saw him referred to earlier this week as the homeopathic Tory. In that, he, he's, in that if, as you probably know, and believe me, some of my best friends are homeopaths, so please don't be insulted by this, but homeopathy is based on very, very weak uh, compounds, chemicals in, in solution, and, and so weak that you can't see, feel, taste them. And that's how he's being described in terms of weakness. Yeah. He's as weak as a homeopathic. So, and and it's, it's also the, the penny has dropped. If you if you look at some of the better political commentators out there, like um, the ones in the FT, for example, they've been banging the drum that this guy actually is a committed, true believer in hard right policies. He yeah. is a hard right politician. Yeah. So if you combine being hard right with being a committed Brexiteer and being weak, that's not something that plays very well typically in Britain. And so I think that explains why his own popularity has gone down and why his party, he can't, he's flailing, actually, into yes. trying to turn the fortunes of his party around. So, yes, that all that would translate into Keir Starmer not needing the Liberal Democrats if, if, if it turns out that those opinion polls are correct. But we've been down this road before where they've not, they didn't get the Brexit referendum right and there have been a couple of general elections that they've not got right. But on the basis of those polls, that's what we know best. Keir Starmer has an, a pretty large overall majority. Okay, Chris, as always, fascinating to talk to you and to have you on the stand. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Chris Johns, former chief economist with Bank of Ireland and now one of the team, that one of the leaders of the team that produces the podcast. The other hand, we're grateful to Chris, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 